So open up to Acts 20. Before we do that, let's do a history lesson. 1,552 days ago, did I say days? 1,552 years ago, St. Patrick died. This is the celebration of his death day, the day that he died and went to heaven. The story of St. Patrick is as a youth, a 14-year-old, any 14-year-olds here today? A couple. Oh, yeah, feel like... 14, as a 14-year-old, he was abducted by Irish raiders. That's not a football team. That's a band of uh, druids and pagans. And he was abducted by them and taken to Ireland and, and there lived as a slave for about six years, raising sheep. During that time, he grew close to God. He had visions from God and he was very content to be with God. And yet in that time, right around age 20, he was led by a vision from God to escape his captors. He went to the coastline where he found a boat, got in the boat and sailed to freedom back to Britain and found his family again and committed himself to the priesthood and became a priest. Once he went through all of his schooling and all his training, he begged his people in Britain to send him back to, listen, Ireland. He said, they need, they don't know Jesus. They need Jesus. Let me go back as a missionary now. So they sent him to Ireland where he planted dozens of churches and led thousands of people to Christ wanting to go back and be compassionate to them, to those who had ripped off his youth, if you would, taken him from his family, possibly did physical harm to him, but yet when he himself knew the love of Christ, he said, I wanna go back. I wanna tell them about Jesus Christ. So if you are celebrating today by wearing green, I think I forgot my shoes are not green, but I'm pretending they're kinda green. If you wear green today or talk with an Irish accent or uh, wear a leprechaun's hat the rest of the afternoon, know that it's because of a man of God who in Ireland today, he wasn't even Irish, isn't that funny? St. Patrick, not Irish. Uh, the name Patrick is not from Ireland. Anyways, not to burst your bubbles. He was a man of God. And the people of Ireland today celebrate him because he changed the very environment of that country. As a matter of fact, I read one excerpt from an uh, Irishman who's in Ireland today. And he said, it's kind of like your George Washington. That's really how we view him. He changed the course and the fate of our country, and we're forever eternally grateful. Wouldn't that be cool to have a, uh, a story like that, where what you did with your life and in your freedom is you surrendered it so others might know the joy of Jesus? It's a daily decision, okay? Surrendering your freedom. Den Jesus would say it this way, denying your life, laying it down, taking up the cross, following him, and loving on other people in spite of them at times. That's what we celebrate this day for, so go Irish. Now, history lesson's over, open up to Acts 20. Figure y'all need to know that just in case somebody wants to pinch me, I'll pinch you back. I won't, don't try it. Verse 17 of Acts 20. It says, from Miletus, he, that's Paul, sent to Ephesus and he called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught to you publicly from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Verse 24, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask now a blessing on the rest of this service. We've worshiped, sang some songs to you, reminded ourselves what it's all about, that we are eternal beings having a short human experience. And now, Lord, we're turning to your word for direction. As, as I instruct my son in the ways of life, often he, he now asks me, how do you know that, Dad? How do you know that? And my, my response to him often is because of God's word. Because God's word has told me so.
and I believe it. And so, Lord, we now, with our questions, come into your house and say, lead us and instruct us. Change us and transform us. Comfort us. Correct us. Lord, we thank you again for the expansion of this building and all the stuff going on, and it's just, it's to your glory. We pray that our hearts, Lord, would be expanded as well, that the remodel within would be profound and prolific and evident to all. Even as we're trying to make more room in this building, may we make more room in our hearts for you, getting rid of the stuff that's gotta go, knocking down those walls that should not be there. Jesus, you're the king. We submit to you in your name, amen. If you were to hire a worker, someone to do some work for you, and that worker then said, I can do the work of 10 men, would you be excited? If that worker worked so hard and said, I'm going to do the work of 10 men, that's how strong I am and how bullheaded I am, and I'm just going to do it. I'm going to work, work, work. Most of us would say, yeah, get her done. Get that guy on your team. Or would it be smarter to, instead of get a guy or be a guy, or a gal that does the work of 10 to train 10 guys or gals to do the work. Think about it for a second. Which would be more beneficial? You doing it all for a short season because if you work the load of a 10-person team yourself, you're not gonna last very long. You're gonna wear yourself out. But there is this tendency to, to do more, work harder, be smarter, be stronger, all the rest. And I believe it's not a good way. I believe the other opposite way is called delegation and leadership. Where instead of doing everything yourself, you find others to do the work with you, in front of you. You could pray for me personally as a pastor. This has been one of my short-sightednesses in all of my ministry days is delegating. Properly allowing and releasing people around me to do what I can do myself. Or what I, in my pride, even may say, I could do better. And the Lord's working on me to delegate in order that more work gets done, in order that I don't get burned out. Paul here in our story, if you're just joining us or if you're tracking with us, has summoned the elders to himself. He's traveling from Ephesus, from Greece, from Athens, from Corinth, from his third missionary journey, back to Jerusalem. He's done. He's been on a missionary journey for three years Planting churches, making disciples. Sounds like St. Patrick. Planting churches, making disciples. Sounds like St. Nicholas, if you know the story of St. Nicholas. Not Santa Claus, that's different. St. Nicholas. Sounds like Jesus Christ. Planting churches, making disciples. And Paul now is leaving, and in order to leave, he looks at these churches he's planted, and instead of calling a large assembly for all the churches to gather, he taps on the elders. And we studied this in depth last week. Please get the CD or however that works, the MP3. Go online and watch it, stream it, it's free. Download it, put it on your MP3 player and listen to it. Paul calls the elders, he ignores the church for just a brief session. And he says, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna pour into my 10 guys in order that they'll do the work. Instead of going in there and trying to do it all myself. And in that comes a great degree of humility and trust Remember when Paul rebuked the Corinth church and he said, you guys think you're of Paul. Some think you're of Apollos and some think you're of Peter, Kepha, Rock. Some think you're of Jesus. Listen, don't play favorites. We're all doing this the same and we all have different gifts, he said. Some plant, some water, some get to enjoy the harvest and baptize people. It doesn't matter because guess who brings the increase? It's God. If you're like me, you're, you're a shepherd, you're a pastor, you're an evangelist, you're a lover of people and a lover of God. Hope you're like me in a lot of ways. I really do because I've submitted to the king's plan. If you're like me, you look at the king's plan and you say, you could probably get a better person than me. <laughs> you know, you could probably get a, did you check Greg's list, Lord, before you called me to the ministry? Because there's some resumes on there. Go back in time with me and look at Jesus. Here's God, okay? He comes to earth in a skin suit, born as a baby. This is the whole plan from the beginning of time. And he assumes that responsibility in this skin suit, lives a life of sinless perfection, and calls amongst himself sinners and rebels. Look at his 12 crew that he called. There were tax collectors that were crooked in all kinds of ways. There were terrorists that he called. That is Simon the Zealot. The Zealots of those days were fighters, carried knives and would kill people that were not against them 
or we're not on their team. Fishermen, the B team, the other people. Here's Jesus. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expand heaven. It's going to last forever. I better pick the right people. And on purpose, as an example, to encourage us and to remind us, he picks those 12 guys and then walks with them for three years. And if you know the story, it was three years uh, of real comedy. It was just, it's funny. And these 12 guys following Jesus, you know, Jesus is in the, the front and they'd be like elbowing each other, you know, and messing with each other and fighting. They were fighting all the time. And, and Jesus is looking at them going, do you guys get it? Oh yeah, I want to be the greatest. Is that bad? You know? <laughs> no, you got to be a servant. And you know the story. Jesus chose these guys to change the world. Paul now is relinquishing the rights, if you would, to these guys here saying, Let's do this together. I can't do this anymore. I trust you guys. Not even just trusting you guys, but I trust the Lord of the harvest to bring the increase because God has chosen to use foolish things, weak vessels, unwise groups in order to bring about his greatness, lest we should boast. Remember the story of Gideon? Gideon, this mighty man of valor who was cowering and hiding out from the Syrians who had surrounded them at the time? God called him and he was whimpering and whining and crying and hiding. And God said, hey, mighty man of valor. Now, what part of whimpering, whining and crying is a mighty man of valor? Did I miss that lesson? You know, I don't get that. It was the potential God saw in him as he surrendered to God's plan. And if you remember his plan, it's great. I'm not gonna tell the whole story because I didn't plan on it. I'm running out of time already. But here's the point of the story. Paul, or not Jesus, God calls Gideon to fight against an army of 50,000 or more people. Gideon has 32,000 people with him. God says it's too much. And Gideon says, really? I kind of thought we were the underdog already. And he says, get rid of most of them. In the story, he gets rid of all of them, but 300. You know the story. And here's God's master plan. He says, here's what I want you to do with your 300 dudes. Take a lamp, each one of them with a, with a lamp, a, a torch. And then put that torch under a pot, a vessel and hide it. And surround yourself on the hillside there and blow your horns. And when the enemy comes out of their tents, right at that very minute, break the pot, exposing your light. And when they did that, I mean, this sounds just kooky to me. It's like, really? Okay, that, then what? You know, what's the next plan? We don't have any swords. Like, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're all messed up. They did that. They broke those pots, those cracked pots, shined their light. And when the enemy came out, they saw 300 lights. And in their estimation, each one of those lights represented around 1,000 people. 300,000 people around the hillside and the enemy freaked out, got confused and they did themselves in, okay? This, this is comedy to me. It's funny, it's ironic. It's like, wow, okay. We don't even have to do anything? Nope, God's got it. The God is doing the same thing in the church. He's asking for people to say, you know what, would you volunteer and just let your light shine? And some of us say, well, I'm a cracked pot. I'm all messed up. I don't have what it takes and I, I leak in this area and I'm messed up and I'm prone to wander and I've done that in the past and I'm doing this now and I'm afraid of that to come. Oh, mighty men and women of valor. God says, just do it. Who do you really trust? When Peter was in the boat and the storm was raging, they're freaking out. They're so mad. Remember, it's comedy to me. Jesus said, hey, get in the boat and I'll meet you on the other side. Jesus starts to walk, storm comes up. They're like, Jesus told us to get in this boat. He knew this was coming. They look out, there's Jesus walking on the water. Peter says, well, if it's really you, then make it your will, command me, bid me to come out on the water and I'll do it. Now, can you walk on water? Just, it's as simple, the answer is no, you can't, okay? It's not a trick question. You can't walk on water. Unless you are in the will of God and it's God's will that you should walk on water. And God says, yeah, come out to me, Peter. I'm doing it, you can do it too. At this very moment in time, this is my will. Peter steps out on solid ground. When God calls you and I, as messed up as we are, to his will and his purpose, it's his will and his purpose that is the big factor in the equation, okay? Most of us look at what God is doing, what the Bible says and where we're going, and then we instantly factor ourselves into the equation and it gets all messed up. We're like, oh, but I'm part of the equation. Doesn't that equal zero now? Or some of us on the other side are so prideful, we're thinking, yeah, guaranteed victory. Glad you recruited me, Lord. That's probably the best move you've ever done. (laughs) I got more laughter from that one. I don't know why. I don't know why. Listen, Paul is passing on the baton to these elders. We're going to talk about leadership for the next couple weeks. 
And I want you to grasp this concept of just leadership. Some of you, when you hear that word, you immediately check out because you think, that's not me. I'm not a leader. I don't have a title. I don't have a position. I don't have power. I don't, I don't, I don't, no one looks up to me. All of these things. Listen, I want everyone in here, everyone in here to say, no, I'm leading somebody because there's somebody dumber than me. That's for sure. Okay? Let me think about it. There's somebody, somebody dumber than you. So you're a leader, whether you like it or not. You might be a bad leader. That's why we're here at church learning some stuff, okay? I, I went through this briefly last week about the progression of a Christian. How biblically there's a couple words to identify Christians. The first word is believer. When you become a believer, you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and you go from an unbeliever that is not born again to becoming a believer. You believe and the Holy Spirit rebirths your spirit and you become a believer. You move then from a believer though. You have that honeymoon time where it's like sweet and just awesome where I just believe, man, I'm just, I'm saved. You gotta make a transition to becoming a disciple. And a disciple is somebody simply, in my opinion at least, that has a disciplined plan, okay? A disciple is somebody who just is not gonna do certain things, okay, that's the plan. And I'm gonna do other certain things, there are things that I've decided in my life now that I'm a believer. That's not going to take me where I want to go. That needs to be eliminated. And this is actually going to fast track my, ma- my maturation, my maturity process by adding some of these things into my life. I'm a disciple. To be a disciple means you're disciplined. Very simple. Okay, I hope you're getting this. Then you move from being a disciple to being a deacon. Okay, this is a word that we don't hear very often unless it's specifically in the scriptures because it's just a kind of a weird word, let's be honest. Diakonos, a deacon is somebody who just serves. You become a believer, you're disciplined, you have a plan, and you're realizing that this whole thing needs help. This whole thing needs ministers and ministry partners and people, and there needs to be some sort of energy given into this, whether it's this church, and I made that very clear last week, that it's not about South Beach Church or this 10 a.m. service. To be a deacon is to be somebody who serves the body of Christ. That is the individuals, okay, the members, the head, which is Jesus. Did you know when you leave here, this is the body of Christ, it's very evident we're at church. When you leave here, you take church with you. Right there in your car, look in the rear view mirror, don't look behind you, look at you, you're the church. Okay, you still have the opportunity to be a believer, to be a disciple and to be a deacon. That is one who serves, one who actually gives. And then the Bible also clarifies another group of individuals called elders. These are leaders. These are ones who actually lead the church. They serve the church by leading. Deacons lead the church by serving. Okay, very simple stuff. We download it, check it out. A common misnomer though, very, oh, it just makes me sick to think about it. A common misnomer in our cultural church age is that there are professional Christians You know what I mean? Professional Christians that are gonna do the work of the ministry. They're gonna actually preach and they're gonna teach and they're gonna disciple and they're gonna lead and they're gonna evangelize and they're gonna reach out to the unlost and they're gonna pass out tracts. They're gonna have home groups and they're the professionals. They're the ones who are really saved and called and anointed. And I think we actually do ourselves a disservice in some senses, even in a service like this where everyone's facing this direction, looking at me for 45 minutes. Oh, there's our pastor. So on fire for Jesus. He's an evangelist. He's this, he's that. And while that may be somewhat true, this is a time of edification, equipping for the work of the ministry. This is the time where we come together. It's almost like in a basketball game or a football game. When the coach calls a timeout, play stops. Everyone huddles up. You're thinking, you know, what's going on? We're getting beats, tie game, whatever. And the coach comes over and the captain's there and everyone's going over the plays, the objectives, the theories, the goals. What are we doing? What have we been going wrong? You look at the scoreboard and you adjust. Okay, that's what church is. We come together, we hear the game plan. We all put our hands in, go church on three or whatever. I know we don't do that part. Not necessary. I think an amen covers that part. And I want you guys to get this. Because again, when I say the word leader, some of you just say, oh, shouldn't have came to church today. It's not for me. I really believe you are a leader. Now, there's a progression here. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna camp on this. I really think it's important. Paul knew that as he poured into his leaders, he would actually be pouring into the church. As he poured into his, his top guys, the guys that have already proved themselves, committed themselves, as he poured into those guys, those guys would pour into others. His direct words to Timothy were, Timothy, Take the gospel which I have given to you 
give it to other guys that will take it to other guys that they know will take it to other guys. Pass this thing on, man. Multiply yourself. I told that to a couple of our Sunday school workers that are making an exodus soon. God's calling them to other states, other countries, other regions. I don't know about countries, but other places. And I said, can you, can you think about multiplying yourself before you leave? Any way you can just grab somebody and say, you know what you need to do? You need to do what I do. I would say that to everybody here that's on mission doing something. Multiply yourself. So easy to come to a church service and sit and soak, which is part of it, and then you sour. It's sit, soak, serve, okay? That's the SSS of the church. You sit, you soak it up, then you get to work somehow. Just even accepting that I'm a disciple. I'm not gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. That I'm a deacon, I'm gonna serve the body of Christ, whether it's right in my own little family, okay? Start there, by the way. Don't ignore your family uh, to serve the church in some other way. The church is your home. That's where it begins, at your home. That's where it's tested. That's where it's formed and forged. So there's this misnomer. There's professional Christians. Let me just give you, give you a story. Katie Condit, her name's now Katie Banks, uh, came to the Upper Room Coffee House with her then-boyfriend. I was managing the coffee house at the time, and her then-boyfriend, now-husband, is Jesse Banks, my very, very good friend. Jesse Banks had walked away from the Lord and had now given his life back to the Lord and was taking this pagan gal with him. And she was kind of wondering what's happening to my boyfriend and who's this Jesus guy. And Katie Condit would come to the church and she was very standoffish, very quiet, very reserved. And I'm, you know, kind of jovial and happy. And I just treat everyone like they love Jesus. And I think I kind of freaked her out a little bit and just got in her face and realized he wasn't on the same team yet. And regardless of all that, she eventually gave her life to Jesus Christ called me one day. I was at a pastor's conference in Eugene, and she said, I want to get baptized tonight. I think it was like March. And I said, okay, well, I'll meet you at the creek as soon as we get back. Wear a lot of clothes because it's going to be cold, and we'll dunk you under. We did that. Now, Katie Condit then at that point, she started coming to the Upper Room Coffee House, and she would get there early, get some coffee and a bagel, best bagels in the world. We'll talk about that later. Not today. We made them by hand. Anyways, oh, they were so good. She would get this stuff. She, she would go in the corner. She would just curl up on this little ottoman thing. I'm not even sure what it's called. A, what's, what are those big things, couches that are shaped like a bowl? A chair. Thank you. That really brings color to the story. Yeah, she went and sat on a chair. And she'd read her Bible and drink coffee and she'd just hang out all day. And, and, and I just began to watch her grow and, and she was sitting and, and soaking. And I remember one day she, I approached her. I said, hey, you know what? You should pray about, we were all volunteer ran at the coffee house. I said, you should pray about you know, helping out you know, down the road a little bit later as you mature in Christ and just commit in that way, just helping us out and, and brew espresso and sell bagels uh, for the king. And she said, okay, I'll pray about that. And I'm not kidding you, like within 20 minutes, I turn around and she's standing there with an apron on, like, what do I do? Ready to go. And I said, well, the first thing you do is you put shoes on because that's illegal. You're a hippie, you know? She was kind of a hippie at the time. I said, you got to put your shoes on. And, and she began to work, okay? She sat, she soaked, and she served. Okay, now she's in Bend, Oregon, raising two boys with her husband over there, uh, serving in that way. There's a progression of a Christian into a servant. Listen, you go from being a consumer of Christ to becoming a contributor for Christ, being a consumer of Christ, by the way, is a necessity, okay? Jesus said, take and eat, this is my body. Consume me, get involved in me. You've got to be connected to me because if you're just doing ministry for me, apart from me, it's called religion. It's called man's attempts. It's called messed up is what it is. So you've gotta be a consumer of Christ, but you have to be a consumer and a contributor. If you just consume and you don't contribute, you're gonna get constipated, okay? You, you keep taking in, you keep taking in, you keep taking in, you never give out. I mean, the picture is there, you got it. You got to give. It's reciprocal, okay? Now, I say that because our culture is, is largely into consumerism. We just want to consume. We, it gives us instant gratification when we get what we need. Listen, God equips us in order that we would give out. Last night, I was at the Young Life Banquet here in town, fundraiser, raising money for Young Life and the ministry here in Newport, which you should all be praying for and funding in one way or another. By the way, I believe Young Life reaches this community and the youth in this community in a way that at this point, the church isn't. Now, the Young Life is an, is a, is an arm of the church. It's a parachurch ministry, but they are reaching kids on another level that the church has not yet fully equipped to do right now. So we pray and support Young Life. And while I was at this banquet, Wayne, the uh, territory director, Wayne, Wayne, Wayne was there talking and he talked about having 
gifts. And he said that if you have a gift to minister to kids, he said, that's, that's unique. His pastor, before he got into full-time Young Life ministry, identified that in him and said, you have a special gift to relate to kids because not everyone can do that. Anybody in here willing to say, no doubt, <laughs> you know, you're not a kid person. You're not going there. It's not your gift. And I, I heard that last night and I thought, that's so true. How many gifts has God given me that are unique? And I was really convicted last night because I thought about my gift for kids, to be honest with you. And I have a, 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 an ability to get on the level with kids, love on them, not afraid of them. Uh, there's been some effective ministry in my past with them. And, and I just thought about it. I was like, am I sitting on that gift, Lord? Because if Wayne's right, if that was unique, and not everyone got that gift, and I do have it, am I, am I in sin? Am I like the guy that was given the talents, Jesus said, and got scared and buried them and didn't invest them? Am I that guy? And I, don't, I haven't got the answer yet. But I know for a fact, I've told the story before, when I was in Ashland last August, I was doing a wedding. I pastored there for 10 years. And I was coming to town and the senior leader there said, hey, you're gonna be in town. Do you wanna teach on the Sunday? I'm like, what? My answer to him was this. Um, I don't know. Let me, let me get back to you. I don't really know if I wanna teach because I got this extra responsibility of doing a wedding and it might be kind of fun to not teach. And as I was processing and praying that through, the Lord said, did I give you a gift to teach for you to use when you want to use it? And I was like, I don't think so. This is a trick question. You know? And God said, I, you're not your own. I gave you gifts. It's for the kingdom. Use your gifts. Invest your gifts. Don't believe the hype. Don't believe the lies. And I said, oh, it was an eye-opener. And I said, okay, Lord, you've given me gifts. I, Forgive me for burying them, hiding them. If you have gifts here, maybe it's with kids, maybe it's with leadership, maybe it's with discipleship, maybe it's the gift of exhortation and prayer, maybe you're an encourager. Whatever it is, identify your gifts, develop them. Don't just let the professional Christians do it. Don't just let your bumper sticker do it. Don't just let your past pretend and make you believe that you've done it, okay? Don't believe the hype. Get involved some way, somehow, because you've heard it said a thousand times, this life will soon pass. And only things done for Christ will last. Only things done for Christ will last. Let me just give you my, my idealistic expectations of Christians in the church. I almost, I almost had this printed out and I was gonna broadcast it up here, but it seemed way too formal because it's just my own idealistic expectations of Christians in the church. I say it again, my idealistic expectations of Christians in the church. Okay, this is not necessarily doctrine or theology. This is just when I read the Bible, I kind of think this is how it should be. Uh, and, and I'm only gonna list four and there's probably 4,000 idealistic expectations of Christians in the church. The first one is greeters. I think personally, everybody in the church, I'm talking about SBC now in the church world, not just in church life, but I think everybody should be a greeter. I just, I idealistically expect that. Not everyone has the gift of hospitality and outreach and evangelism, but I kind of just think that if you love God, <laughs> you've been saved and you've soaked and you sat and you know it, that when you see another person, whether you know them or not, you should love them. Is that too idealistic? Am I stepping on your toes? Did I cut your toes off? And you should, in some fashion or some way, see other people as better than yourselves and greet them somehow. Now, we at this church don't have a greeting ministry for various reasons. I would even say it this way, for very many reasons. I don't like greeter ministries. I think it reeks of religion. I think it reeks of, of all this other stuff. I personally, am I stepping on your toes? Listen, if I, I just think that it's, why, why get four people or a committee of 10 to be the greeters and then everyone else doesn't have to? I kind of think that everyone should just be loving and inviting. And when you come to church, you should, you should just see people and they should see you. And it should be this exploration and this celebration, of this declaration of Jesus Christ is alive. Are you kidding me? Welcome in the name of the Lord. Paul and Virginia, Hannah, where are you guys at? Raise your hand. Right there. Paul's here. Where's Virginia? Is she here? Paul and Virginia, Hannah visited our church about a year and a half ago. And they came to the church and then they sent me an email. They said, hey, we just visited your church. First time ever. Thought you'd like to know how it went for us. Thank you for that email. Great feedback. Gave me all the, what happened that whole day. And in it, she said, I think it was, was Virginia. She said in that we walked in the door and we were greeted, parentheses, informally. There was no greeting team, no big usher 
t-shirt or whatever. We were greeted. Someone said hi to us. And then as we came into the sanctuary, we were greeted a couple more times. People said hi to us and we felt very welcome. We were very, we were very pleased with our experience here at South Beach Church. And I thought to myself, I said, amen. Whoever did that, amen. Whoever just shook their hand. No, I didn't ask you to. I'm asking you to today, but I didn't ask you to then. Just be nice, okay? Be a greeter. I remember one time I did ask somebody at the Ashland Christian Fellowship. I'm not going to mention his name. His initials are Mike Swinford. He doesn't go to church here. He goes to church in Salem. We were roommates at the time. And I saw this one dude come to church. And he was sitting up front and he was kind of, uh, no one knew him. Brand new there, just kind of sitting there. During the break time, I said hi to him, got his name, encouraged him and walked away. And I went over to Mike. I said, Mike, see that guy? And Mike said, yeah. I said, he's brand new here, dude. Go say hi to him. Go, 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 just go, go shake his hand, go welcome him. And Mike looked at him and looked back at me and said, no. And I, said, I, said, I said, is this Saturday Night Live? I don't, is this, are you joking? Like, what do you mean? No, he's like, I don't want to. I just could not believe it. And from this day, I still remember. We just said, no, I'm not gonna greet him. And I don't think Mike's a believer. No, I'm just kidding, he is. <laughs> just some comic relief. He totally is. Mike Swinford is a man of God. Greeters. Okay, just be a greeter. Can I just ask you guys? Because we're not gonna have a greeting ministry. It's just not gonna happen here. But I want you, if you're a South Beach Church member, use that word loosely, just love people, okay? Become a shepherd, become a, a deacon in that way. Serve people's hearts. Look at them, love on them. And again, some of you are sweating already, think, I don't wanna to touch anybody. I, this is weird already, you know? I'd rather be at home watching the live stream. <laughs> okay, just ask the Holy Spirit to anoint you with the power of God to say hi. <laughs> the, the third, the, I got four, okay? The next one is to be a giver. Okay, this is my idealistic expectation of the churches, that you would just be givers, that I would be a giver. Because the Bible instructs it very clearly that we would be those who just give as under the Lord of our first fruits and above and beyond because God is first. This is why, because God is first given to us. It's that simple. Because it's all God's anyways, why not be a good steward over what you have and give back to him in one way or another? Whether it's time, a lot of people have been given time for this remodel. Whether it's talent, all volunteer musicians up here, talented I dare at least even 10% of you to come play this piano. Give it a try and see how talented you're not with me. <laughs> They're giving of their talent or your treasure. That is your giving. However you give to the Lord, whether at this church or ministries abroad or whatever, just be a giver. Now, I heard this over the radio and it's very true that God doesn't teach giving in the scriptures by ways of raising cash. You need to get that. Giving is not a way to raise cash. It is a way, it is the way to raise kids, his kids. It is a way to turn you into, from being a greedy, snobby, snotty little person like my kids, that when they find money, they get money, they clinch it, they, their hands bleed, they're squeezing it so tight. I mean, they just, they're just drawn to money. And when we teach them that it's better to give than to receive, they are then allowed to grow up mature in releasing those funds and from being little small people that are greedy and grubby. Snotty nose, that might not be your problem. That's theirs. But you understand, when we give, we become like our father. God so loved the world that he gave. Be a giver. This is, by the way, I believe, a ticket to freedom in your life. God wouldn't ask you to do something if it wasn't for your benefit. I guarantee you, as you learn to give, as you learn to just steward your finances, your money, your time, and your talent as the Lord's, it's God's. This is God's mortgage. This is God's car payment. This is God's lawn that I'm mowing. This is God's check that I'm writing. It's not mine. You're free. You are free. Where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. If your treasure's at the U.S. bank, last time I checked, they're closed today. You know, <laughs> If your treasure is with your money, it's going to corrode. It's going to be corrupted. It's going to dissipate. Just open-handedly hold your, your, your life open-handedly, because then God can take what he wants and he can give what you don't have. You close that up, you're done. God can no longer fill you. You've got what you, you, got, what you got and you're done. Be open-handed about this, okay? Here at the church, we don't talk about giving very often. We don't pass the hat, because in my idealistic expectation of Christians in the church, we, we shouldn't need to remind you that heavily, and we don't. And, I, and I, this church, by the way, is very generous, very generous, amazingly generous, and I appreciate that very much. And I don't have to talk about it. But I will say this, there are lots of ways to give to this church, time, talent, and treasure. Figure out which one you have and which one is the Lord's and which one he wants you to give. Here's a funny story. I was doing my online banking last week, maybe a week and a half ago. 
And I was online banking and I have this bill pay option where I can type in an address. US Bank is where I bank. It's not a plug. I have other accounts. There are bankers here. I offend you. Okay. And I was typing in there and I was sending checks to people. I just type in addresses and it sends checks free of charge. Pretty cool. I think most banks have that. And I said, I'm going to send a check to South Beach Church. So I just typed in South Beach Church and the address and sent it to the church here. It was my offering for the month. I just sent it. I got it done. I felt real good about it. A couple days later, I show up to the church and I'm working on the remodel and I'm by the mailbox. I'm like, I'm going to get the mail. Open up the mail and I open it up. There's one thing in there and it's to the church, payment enclosed with my name at the top. It's just ironic to me. I was like, oh, someone sent the church some money and my name's somewhere in there. Someone sent me some money. This is so good. And as I walk in to the church, I'm like, who could send me money? This is so weird. Why would they send me money? My name's on it with this payment enclosed. And, and as I'm walking, I didn't, never opened it. And I realized, oh, this is the, the check I sent to the church. It's right here in my hand. So I, I put it in the box. Okay. It's funny to me, at least. There's lots of ways to give to the Lord in that way. Okay. Be a greeter. Be a giver. And again, I say this is the most important part for me to hear. When you become a giver, you're set free. You are set free, okay? Donald Trump interviewed a couple years ago by Larry King. Donald Trump, you ever heard of that guy? He's got some cash. And he said to Larry King, he said, I am not a happy man. Doesn't that make you just like, really? Well, let me try. (laughs) Let me slide over. Give me a try, Don. I'll see if I can get happy. I'm not a happy guy, he said. It was also quoted in this story that I was listening to that there are seldom in millionaire circles, seldom those who are millionaires find themselves laughing. One particular, I can't remember the guy's name now, it was a different guy, he said, I, I, I rarely see in my circle, I rarely see joyful millionaires. They're just, they're just not happy. They're not full. Now, most of us in here are not millionaires. If you are, come talk to me. I'm kidding. <laughs> most of us in here say, what? How could they not be happy? I would be so happy. Hey, I don't know if you would. I don't know if you would. I also heard a statistic that 72%, maybe it might have been 82% of all NFL players, two years within retirement of the NFL, where by the way, if you're a bench warmer and never see the green field of playtime again, never see it again for a 20-year career, you get $350,000 per year. That is the minimum paycheck you can get per year. Now that's twice what I get paid. Big laughter, big laughter. Ha ha ha, big joke. I shouldn't have had to coach you there. $350,000 per year, which to me is just like, what? 82% of all those who retire out of the NFL are bankrupt within two years. Two years. Everyone in here is thinking, I could do so much better. I should go try out for the NFL. We're talking about humans here. Last time I checked, you're one and I'm one. Okay? Money and the love of money is the root of all evil. Okay? Money's not the root of all evil. Money is a means to ministry and to great things, okay? The love of money, when you can't let it go, when you can't let your stuff go, when you're just so greedy, it will kill you. I see this with my boys. They'll find something that they perceive to have value, a penny. (laughs) I keep telling them, look, we should probably just throw that in the garbage, you know? (laughs) That has no value, really. And they get these things of value in their own estimation. And they'll just sit there on the couch, making their other brothers so mad. And no one's happy at this point, even the one with the, the treasure. And I'll, I'll sit there and, and kind of watch them and see how long this is going to last, this, this holding out of this precious nothing. And they'll both sit there in misery, one because he wants it so bad, and the other just because he has it. And I just watch, and I'm like, you're both living in your own proverbial hell right now. You both have created this miserable state of existence. What you have is not even worth anything. Can't even buy anything for a penny, can you? Penny stocks, they still have those? I don't know. Let's keep moving. Sorry. Greeters, givers, and I want you guys to be gatekeepers. Gatekeepers, okay, wrap your mind around this. That is those who are in the church body who really care about what's going on, not just at this church, but we're at church right now, but also what happens in the lives of your friends and family and individuals. A gatekeeper is somebody who cares about those going in and out of the gate and those walking around them. Here's how I envision it here at this church. Church is over. There's like a bunch of kids running around all over the place. Maybe some are yours. Maybe some are mine. Maybe some are not yours at all. Those are sheep. Okay, those are God's little sheep. Wouldn't it be cool if you grew as a gatekeeper and said, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna start memorizing some of their faces and I'm gonna pray for them because this world's nuts and the youth are going through a war right now. And I'm gonna be a gatekeeper. I'm gonna love on these kids. 
And I'm gonna love on the kids that are right in front of me. Maybe you're gonna be a gatekeeper that becomes a Sunday school teacher and actually gets a chance to disciple these little kids, okay? Not just the youth, but the people around you. Love on one another. The body is, is like an organism, okay? All our cells are working together to ensure the well-being of one another. We can't do this alone, okay? Be a gatekeeper. Actually care about the people around you. And again, I've got three little kids, okay? One is not yet old enough to run around. Uh, that's my daughter. She'll never be old enough to run around. <laughs> my two boys, though, they're all over the place. And my ideal expectation of Christians in the church is that you guys would see my kids and you'd love them. You'd care for them. You'd want them to be blessed. You would protect them from all harm. And you have my commitment to your kids on that same level. Be a gatekeeper. Be a family. It's a family that's growing, but love each other's kids and family members. Lastly, greeters, givers, gatekeepers, and just be a good person, okay? Don't be a jerk, okay? If you're you're a Christian, this is my idealistic expectation of Christians in the church is that you would see yourself as a missionary to Newport, to Walport, to Seal Rock, to Lincoln City, to Depot Bay, to Solettes, to Eddyville, to Logsdon, to the places around where you live. You're a missionary. Now, if you've ever gone on the mission field, the last thing you do naturally or on purpose is be a jerk. Okay, anybody been on a short-term mission trip? And you're like, when do we get to that part where I'm a jerk? It never comes up. It never comes up. When you're on a short-term mission trip, you are a servant. You are there to make sure all things go well. You are there to work hard, to sleep on the ground, to sleep in the dirt, to drink water out of a hose and eat food out of a can, whatever you do, in order that others would be blessed. Then we get back to where we live and we kind of take off our missionary garb, which is fine. Take up, you know, dress like a normal person, eat food that's cooked or whatever, drink water out of your sink. But can you, can you with me? Just retain that mentality of I'm on mission. I want to serve people. I want to love the town of Newport and the people that I coincide with because man, God has not sent me here without that message. He has sent me here with it to be loving. Okay, these four G's, the greeters, givers, gatekeepers. St. Patrick was like this. He was a good person. That is, he wasn't a jerk. He wanted these people to be blessed. He was a giver of his time, talent, and treasure. He's a greeter, I'm sure. (laughs) Greeted the guys on the boat that he stole. Just kidding. I read the text already, and we didn't even study any of it exegetically. We're in leadership here. Paul calls the elders to himself. He says, guys, this is so serious. We'll study it in depth, verse by verse, probably beginning next week, and we'll take a pause for Easter and do a, a topical teaching on the resurrection But Paul exhorts these guys, and at the end of his exhortation, they end the service in tears, weeping. Paul had been there for three years. When he gave them this message, this sermon, by the way, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, records eight sermons of Paul, eight. This is the only one that is from a pastor to other pastors, from a leader to other leaders. Every other, the other seven sermons are those either he's proclaiming the faith or he's defending the faith. This is the fireside chat, okay? This is where Paul gets together and he preaches a sermon to those who are on the same team. He says, guys, I want you to know what's really going on. And he says to them, you've seen me from the very beginning, from the very first day that I got here until I leave my life and my example, my manner of living. Have you found that it's impossible to make a first impression the second time? Is that too confusing? Yeah, you have. Okay, Paul said, when I showed up there, I was on fire. From the day I got here, three and a half years later, I'm leaving. Guess what? I want you to be on fire. And none of them could look at Paul and say, yeah, but Paul, you, oh, wait, no, wait. Yeah, but, oh, yeah, Paul set an example. Like Jesus, he taught it and he modeled it. He taught it and he modeled it. And now Paul says, in all seasons, King James, you saw the way that I lived with you in meekness and humility and tears and in trials, serving the Lord. We're gonna study it out. I want you guys to read this portion of scripture from verse, wherever we left off, verse 21, I think it is. Let's go verse 18 until the end of chapter 20. That's your homework assignment. And look at the character of Paul. We talked about that three weeks ago, the importance of character. Because some of you have talent in here. You know that? You know very well because you have it. Talent that is not bridled with character is a dangerous thing. I'll say that again. 
talent, time, treasure, not bridled with character is a dangerous thing. Okay, Paul had character as well. He had given his life to the Lord. Last thing I'll, I'll leave with you before we invite the worship team to come on back up. And we're gonna take communion together. I'm gonna go over here and pray for people. If you're a believer and you just wanna be encouraged, I'll pray for you. If you're a disciple, I'll pray for you. If you wanna be a deacon, I'll pray for you. If you think you're called to be an elder, I'll pray for you. If you're none of the above and you're confused, I'll pray for you. Paul said this though to his guys there. He said, this whole time I have been serving the Lord. It's very important. We'll talk about this next week as well. In the ministry, I use that broad term, in the ministry, whatever you do with your time, talent, treasure, whether you're a greeter, a giver, a gatekeeper, or a good person, do it for Jesus. Do it for Jesus. Love your wife for Jesus, okay? Repent to your kids for Jesus. Be a gatekeeper for Jesus' sake. Be a greeter because Jesus came and greeted this whole community and this whole world and died for us. Do it for Jesus. Paul says, I serve the Lord in all humility and tears. Don't serve the church. Okay? You do it for Jesus, and for Jesus, you'll serve the church. If you do it any other way, here's what's going to happen to you. I, or anybody else, will let you down. If you do it for me, one day, that's not going to cut it. Luke Frechette is not enough and not inspiring enough and not enough of anything to keep you motivated to do kingdom business. Okay, your wife and your spouse and your kids and your talent and your whatever are not enough to motivate you to do anything of worth, to repent, to forgive, to give, to be a gatekeeper, to be one of passion, commitment, and discipline. You do what you do for the glory of God and for his joy Okay? and to fulfill his ministry. This is the ultimate call. To live is Christ and to die is gain. As you co-op with me and with us and with others as God moves people out of here, it's what he does. And you say, dude, I'm on mission for Jesus. I'm gonna repent. I'm gonna recommit. I'm gonna reconsider. I'm gonna rekindle the flames. I'm not gonna hold grudges. I'm not gonna be a weirdo. I'm not gonna be a divider. It's not about that. It's about my savior who accepted me. That's when y'all laugh. <laughs> he accepted me gratefully, gladly, with open arms, blood spilling out of his hands, saying this is what it's gonna cost you, by the way. Later on in his sermon, his message to his boys, he'll say about the church, which was purchased with his own blood. Something that has value it is determined how valuable it is by what someone is willing to pay for it. That's what determines the value of it. Jesus paid for this church, for your person, your body, your soul, with his blood. In Paul's writings, one of them, he would say, you haven't resisted sin to the point of bloodshed. You're not bleeding yet. Paul would say, I love Paul. He would say, you're not bleeding yet. Jesus died for the church what are you going to do? We follow a king who bled out willingly, sacrificially, victoriously. Okay? Those of you who are disciples and deacons and elders, you're already kind of beyond that believer point where you're like, dude, this is so legit. This is so serious. This is so rad. Be encouraged today. Okay? Make no provision for the lust to fulfill its for the flesh to fulfill it, the Bible says. Shake off some of that stuff that's clinging to you. Okay, we're on the coast. We see this. You have a brand new structure outside, and within months, it's got green stuff kind of growing on it. It Just kind of grabs onto it. Brand new things, man. Metal just rusts. That's the way the world is. Things will grab onto you, seasoned Christians, and begin to weigh you down, burden you, and you forget the ultimate goal of what we're doing is to deny our lives, lay them down, follow Jesus Christ, live victoriously, leave a legacy, and follow the king. I love taking communion after the word has been taught. 
because it's an opportunity to just celebrate the finished work of Jesus Christ, the empty tomb, the grace that is sufficient, the purpose that is present, the pulse that you still now have, and the opportunity to walk another day for Jesus. Would you guys stand with me? I'm gonna have the worship team come on back up. Lord, it's with great thanksgiving. It is with softened hearts that we thank you for what you've done, that we understand, Lord, your goodness to us. And we ask now, Lord, that we would not be the kink in the hose in this community that stops the flow that we've received. Lord, I think of Brandy sitting up front here, Lord, who came to church a couple weeks ago. You touched her heart. You saved her soul. Breathed new life into her spirit. And everything's different. Lord, most of us share that same story at one point in one time. May we, Lord, be a conduit that you are allowed to flow freely through. Like electricity will not go out of a source unless it has something else to go into. May we turn on the switch even today and say, Lord, use me. Use me with my spouse. Forgive me for being a jerk. Use me with my own family. Help me to be a gatekeeper. Forgive me, Lord, for being stingy at times or not even necessarily stingy. Maybe I'm generous, but maybe I'm also so fixated on my wealth or on my power or on my reputation or my gifts. Lord, we don't want to be consumed with what you've given to us. We want to give it back. Help us just to give of everything we've been given so you can give more to those around us. If there's anybody here today that would say, you know what, I'm not sure where I'm at with God, but I want to be right. I want to be forgiven. I want to be where he wants me. I want to be available. I want to be used. I need to be forgiven. I need to have a king. I need to leave a legacy. I want to do it right. I don't want to be lied to. I don't want to be used. If you're here today and you fit that bill and you say, Lord, take me. I surrender. Let me be used for your glory and yours alone. As an individual has been purchased with a price that is the blood of Christ. If that's you and you would say, yep, I need, I need help. I need deliverance, salvation, restoration. I need it. Would you just raise your hand right now? Eyes closed, hands up. Lord, I don't want to mess around. Take me, use me, change me by grace. Holy Spirit, you see the hands and you know the hearts and we need your help. We surrender. Lord, if like in Gideon's story, you need to break us some more in order that the light might shine, may it be for your glory. May it be done by your love. And may the enemy then be confused and confounded and the victory be God's. Lord, we raise our hands to you by way of surrender and we say, have your way. Lead us on. May we be like those men gathered around Paul that day, encouraged, edified, equipped, and released to just love. Heal us, Lord, from the inside out. May there be no darkness. May there be no pain. May there be no hiddenness. May there be wholeness. May there be wholeness here in this group. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. The tables are open for communion and celebration. I will be praying for people on this side of the stage. You're left.